Welcome to Crosswalk Radio, the Bible teaching radio ministry of Crosswalk Church in Daytona Beach, Florida. Take your Bibles and turn with us to the New Testament book of Hebrews as we begin a brand new study today, working verse by verse through this important book. Beginning in chapter 1 of Hebrews, verse 1. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed the heir of all things, through whom also He created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature, and He upholds the universe by the word of His power. After making purification for sins, He sat down at the right hand of the Majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name He has inherited is more excellent than theirs. For to which of the angels did God ever say, You are My Son. Today I have begotten you. If you don't mind circling that word, we'll come back maybe later and talk about that. We will definitely. Or, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. And again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, Let all God's angels worship him. Of the angels, he says, he makes his angels winds, and his ministers a flame of fire. But of the Son, he says, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. And you, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment, like a robe. You will roll them up like a garment. They will be changed, but you are the same, and your years will have no end. And to which of the angels has he ever said, Sit by my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Are they not ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard, while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to His will. For it is not to angels that God subjected the world to come, or which, of which we are speaking, it has been testified somewhere What is man that you are mindful of him? Or the son of man that you care for him? You made him a little lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside his control. At present, we do not see yet everything in subjection to him, but we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God He might test, 
taste death for everyone. For it was fitting that He, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. For He who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That is why He is not ashamed to call them brothers, saying, I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation I will sing your praise. And again I will put my trust in Him. And again, behold, I and the children of God, and the children God has given me. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, He Himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death He might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not angels that helps, but He helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore, He had to be made like His brothers in every respect, so that He might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because He Himself has suffered when tempted, He is able to help those who are being tempted. That's Paul's there. Now, in verses 1 through 4, of chapter 1, we have what we call, uh, if you were to outline the book, you have what we could call an introduction. And then from verse 5 of chapter 1 all the way through verse 18 of chapter 2, which is where we stop the entire chapter, we have what we call the first presentation of Jesus as superior or supreme. So let's look first at verses 1 through 4 of chapter 1. Let's look specifically at those again you'll merely notice the absence of a formal greeting. There is no formal greeting at the beginning of this epistle. There is no customary salutation, nor is there the customary identification of the author, nor is there an acknowledgement of exactly who he's writing to. He doesn't say, hello, I'm Mitch, good evening crosswalk. He doesn't do that. Nor does he say, Hi, I, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to you who are at Philippi. No, he doesn't do that. There is none of that there. None of the, none of the traditional or customary greeting. There may be a reason for that. The reason for that is that the author wants to draw no attention to himself, nor does he want to draw attention necessarily to a particular a group of believers that he's addressing. What he does is he goes right to the theme, right to the point of the letter, and that is to the person of Jesus Christ. So in verses 1 and 2, he tells us that the Son, Jesus Christ, is superior to everyone and everything. Look at verse 1. He says, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. Pause. Our English, in fact, as I read commentaries and, and I read through this, and I read the different translations of this, and it's always good. I, the normal translations that I will, I'll, as, you, as I've already told you on my desk, you'll, you'll find the King James Version is there as a study tool. Obviously, my English Standard Version is there for my primary text. 
I'll have, if I'm doing the exposition of a New Testament text, I'll have the Greek New Testament there. And then I'll also have the American, New American Standard Bible, and I'll have even a couple other references that I might want to turn to to read as well. All of them, interestingly, that have footnotes point out something. That in the original, this opening in the first part of verse 1 is very, is very elegant in its language. It, it's, it, it carries with it a lot of dignity. In fact, uh, it's, it's been said that there is elegance and dignity in this opening sentence that our English language somehow fails in actually giving us. I find that amazing. I've often said that to you before, that when we read our English Bibles, pick it up and we read it like we're just reading anything else, like we're reading the newspaper almost. And we don't stop and give ourselves, especially as we go through an entire book and we outline that book perhaps as in our Bible study, we're reading it and we're outlining it, and we're going back and we'll miss the beauty of what is actually being said. And that is genuinely the case with chapter, with chapter 1, verse 1, the first part of this opening sentence. The verse begin, begins by informing the readers of something. And here's what the author is informing his readers of. How God communicated with man. How God communicated with man. Specifically, how the Old Testament Scriptures came to be. Talking about the truth being found only in the Word of God. And that is exactly what the author is doing in that opening sentence. This is how God communicated with men. This is how we received the Old Testament Scriptures. This is how the Old Testament Scriptures came to be. He starts off by saying, long ago, God communicated to our fathers. Who were the fathers? The fathers were the Hebrew patriarchs, obviously, the forefathers of the Jewish faith. He's writing this letter to Hebrews. And to them, it is God, God gave His, or communicated His revelation. And clearly from what we read in this part of verse 1, God Himself is the source. He is the originator of revelation. And here's the reason God has to be. Please get this. The reason that revelation must begin with God is because men are natural. And revelation is supernatural. I like what one author said. It's like the natural man exists within a box and he can only function within that box. And he may try every way in the world to somehow stretch that box and get out of that box, but every effort that he attempts to do to do that is futile because he's still just natural. Well, God recognizes that. And that if it were left up to... If God were just sitting there silent saying, okay, I'm waiting now for them to somehow communicate with me. There would never have been any communication whatsoever because we don't possess the capabilities of doing that. So what does God do? God initiates. God originates the communication. God speaks to us. God communicates with man. And that is exactly what the author is saying here. That, was, that revelation to man was initially accomplished long ago by God at sundry times, in the way the King James Version puts it, in many ways, or as the King James says, in divers' ways or divers' manners. In other words, at various times in the past, God communicated, that is, spoke to men in many ways. God did the speaking. 
The communication originated with him, and God accomplished speaking to men through various ways or various means. However, men were his instruments. And here in verse 1, the author specifically tells us who the instruments are. Look at what he says. God spoke to our forefathers by who? By the prophets. Now, mark this. What exactly is a prophet? Some of you may know this. You may have sat under teaching before where you've learned this. But a prophet, you could correctly say, is God's messenger. He is that person that has been especially and specifically called by God and, in a sense, anointed by God and commissioned by God to speak to man in his place. Pause for a moment. Can you imagine the responsibility of doing that? Um, I'm not so sure that any of the Old Testament prophets were excited when they knew they were called to be prophets. Well, first of all, because oftentimes they were delivering prophetic words to people who really didn't want to hear what they had to say. And oftentimes those prophetic words were being delivered to people who had the power to put them to death and oftentimes did. And so for God to come and say, oh, you are my prophet. Oh, man, that's great, God. I feel like I'm very special now. It's like, oh, no. No, not, not me. Please, not me. But they were especially commissioned by God to speak to man for God. When they would come and they would say, the, the Spirit of the Sovereign Lord has anointed me. I'm now giving you the word of the Lord. Wow. Every ear perked up. Everyone listened because here's a man standing before you saying, I am here as God's messenger. God's speaking to you through me. What an awesome responsibility weighing heavily. A prophet is one who speaks to men for God. God could God audibly think about this? Could God have audibly spoken to men Himself? Yes, and sometimes He did. So God could have said, I don't need human agents to do that. I can go around and speak to the individuals or the groups that I want to speak to personally. But that's not the way God chose to do it. God chose to commission certain messengers who would take His message to men. And so the prophet of God was given the message and would take it to men. This is how the Old Testament was given through the prophets, all the way from Moses to Malachi, God's revelation was recorded in written form as history, Psalm, Proverbs, prophecy, etc. So the prophets were men called and commissioned by God, filled with the Holy Spirit to speak the Word of God and to speak the Word from God. In fact, in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 21... Peter writes this, I remember during our exposition of 1 and 2 Peter, we spent a little while on this. In chapter 2, verse 21 of 1 Peter, Peter says this, he says, or 2 Peter says, For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. I'm going to read that again. No prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. But men spoke from God 
as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Now, I might, I'm going to say something that might be, I, I certainly don't mean to be controversial. Oftentimes when you preach the truth, you're controversial by nature of preaching. But I, I do want, and I'm not going to belabor this point, and I only have a very short statement in regards to this, because I, I do want to be respectful. But as a result of the charismatic movement, there has been an increased re-emphasis, or I might say a resurgence of sorts of interest in prophets and prophecy. We have a plethora around the world of people professing to be prophets. It is amazing. I mean, they, they've got, even got their business cards with that printed on their business cards why? Can you imagine Elijah printing Elijah the prophet and giving you his business card? No. And yet we have this, this interest in prophecy. In fact, there are schools of prophecy where people are taken into classrooms and they're taught to prophesy. They're just taught to do things like begin to speak the first things that come to your mind. And then as you begin to speak those things, as they begin to come to your mind, then God will kind of take over, the Spirit will take over, and He'll redirect what you're saying and what you're speaking. And then suddenly you'll be moved from what you're thinking and what you're speaking to what God is thinking and what God is speaking. Through this movement, there's been a platform or a platform has been provided for all kinds of people to make outlandish claims to be speaking for God in the name of the Holy Spirit. I think the most frightening thing I hear when I hear some of these prophets, and I don't mean that they are, I'm just calling them what they call themselves, speak is when they begin their prophecy like this. Thus says the Lord, Oh my goodness. At that point, if they're talking to you, take your Bible, turn to the back, the blank pages, and say, write it right there. Because that's the next book in the Bible. Because what they are professing to do is to be speaking to you directly from God. When they say, thus says the Lord. When a prophet in the Old Testament dared say, thus says the Lord, and the Lord didn't say they stoned him. When that prophecy did not come to pass, they were punished for that prophecy not coming to pass. However, these self, they, um, I say here, I say there's, in, there's today, for lack of a better word, I couldn't think of a word to use other than the word of a tsunami of prophecies and prophets that are infiltrating the church. The first warning sign is someone says, for example, thus says the Lord, is a warning sign. And then secondly, when they say, I'm giving you revelation that's new. This revelation has never been given before. Well, at that point, if you haven't already run when they said, thus saith the Lord, waiting for the roof to fall in, now you ought to run because they're claiming that they're now giving you new revelation. Let me tell you something, folks. There is no new revelation. There's no such thing as new revelation. Rather, sadly, in many if not most cases, 
they're really leading via prophecy people into error, people into false doctrine, and leading them into heresy. And the very thing that they are guilty of is the very thing Peter said prophecy was not. Peter says prophecy was not the result of the will of man. They are speaking not by the Holy Spirit, but from their own will. Why would you ever in the, quote, school of the prophets, end of quote, which is what one church actually calls there, why would you even, well, I've seen it done two ways. They will tell people to begin to speak what's on their mind and then waiting for God to take over. And the same way they will try to teach someone to speak in tongues by telling them just to begin to babble. And as they begin to babble and lose control of their speech, then God takes over. Both of those are damnable heresies. Both of those are. God doesn't begin with a natural mind to communicate to man. God's communication to man is supernatural. It is God communicating to us. And it was to the forefathers, the patriarchs of the Jewish faith, He communicated to them through real prophets. Real prophets who were commissioned by God, called by God, anointed by God, and were willing to die for what they prophesied. Again, maybe someone says to you next time, thus saith the Lord. Paul's saying, are you willing to die for that prophecy? And I'm not making light of this, folks. I am not making light of it. I really am not. I'm not making light. It is no laughing matter. No laughing matter to come in and say, thus saith the Lord, or I'm speaking by the Holy Spirit to you. No. I, have, I will tell you something. I have nothing of any value to say, nor does any other preacher, if it does not come from here. God has spoken. God has spoken here. God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets. That is how we got the Old Testament. And then He spoke through His apostles, who were called by Jesus Christ, appointed by Him, who gave us the, the New Testament. So we have 39 books of the Old Testament given to us by roughly 40 authors, or a little less than that, actually 40 authors for the whole Bible, but given to us by a number of authors in the Old Testament. And then we have the 27 books of the New Testament that are given to us by a specific number of authors. And all of those are were people called by God. Now by prophets in Hebrews 1.1 refers to how we received the Old Testament. By prophecy, again, 2 Peter 1.21 mentions the same thing. All Scripture is breathed out by God. Theopanistos in the Greek is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. What? All Scripture, not personal prophecy. It is no small thing to claim to be speaking from God, speaking from the Holy Spirit. Now look, he says, in many ways. Many ways means God employed different means to communicate His revelation. We know, for example, that God used visions. God used dreams. However, it also means various literary forms. God used poetry. God used psalter in the psalm. And God used prophecy. Even history for that fact. Now look at verse 2. In verse 2 he continues because there's a comma at the end of verse 1 rather than a period. So he says, But in these last days He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed the heir of all things, through whom He also created the world. But, notice that word, but. Whenever we see this word in Scripture, we need to pay very special attention to what is coming after it. And this is no exception. Note, 
The Old Testament, and listen very carefully, because I, I want to make sure you don't understand, misunderstand this. The Old Testament is only a part of what God had to say. Everything in the Old Testament is absolutely God's truth. Every, every word in those 39 books given to us in our Old Testament canon are the Word of God. Every single last word of them comes from God. Everything in the Old Testament is God's truth. What God said. But what God had to say was not completely said there. Everything said there was completely true, but there was yet more to come. And that is exactly what the Hebrew writer is saying when he says, But long ago, in many times and in many ways, God spoke to our forefathers, our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days He has spoken again. Now the word again is not there, but He says, But He has spoken Long ago is now compared to in these last days. That Greek word eschatoi, which is the word we get eschatology from, or eschatos, or, or last things, or end times. So that eschatoi being spoken of there, last days means everything from Christ's resurrection, from Christ's ascension, to where we are at this very moment. People say, I believe we're living in the last days. Well, guess what? We are, and we have been since Christ ascended. Ever since the ascension of Christ, we've been in the eschaton. We've been in the last days. We're looking toward that consummation of things. So in the last days, God has spoken His full revelation, and that full revelation was waiting for something. The coming of that full revelation was waiting for the coming of the Son. S-O-N. For the coming of Jesus Christ. That which awaited the coming of God's Son. God at one time, long ago, employed different people, the prophets, and spoke to them through various ways. But now, God has spoken decisively, and I'm going to add this for emphasis, decisively and finally in one way, through one person. And that person is His Son. Well, we have just begun to wade into the waters of an exciting study in the book of Hebrews. and We want to thank you for tuning in today to Crosswalk Radio. This is the Bible teaching radio ministry of Crosswalk Church located in Daytona Beach, Florida. And you are welcome to find out more information about this ministry by visiting our website, crosswalkdaytonabeach.org. At Crosswalk, we are committed to clear exposition of God's Word working verse by verse through various books of the Bible and bringing that teaching right here to you every week on Crosswalk Radio. Make sure you tune in next time as we continue to teach, touch, and transform lives by faithfully proclaiming God's Word.